special bonus episode of The Virtual Couch. Uh, not even giving this one a number. I, I'm not quite sure. I, I want to get this thing up as quickly as I can. Got a couple of uh, episodes in the can, as they say. But I just got off an interview with the guy that I followed for a little while named John Kim, a.k.a. The Angry Therapist. And uh, his, uh, his people reached out to me, sent me a few of his books. He has a brand new book out called I Used to Be a Miserable F. Um, and if you heard my, my uh, episode on uh, Highly Sensitive People, HSP, with Nikki Eisenhower, um, you already know the, uh, the story behind my non-use of uh, bad words, and especially not wanting a little E or explicit by the podcast um, on the title. But uh, what a great interview. I mean, you know, it, his book is, is uh, what is it? it says you don't become a man just by turning 18. Being a man is about everyday choices that lead you toward your full potential. And uh, John Kim, he has a great story. Um, he, he is a merit, licensed marriage and family therapist. He's a, um, a life coach. So there's some kind of similarities there that I feel. Um, but he went through a divorce and he said he came out the other side and had just learned a lot about himself. Um, he had done some work with some nonprofit uh, nonprofit work with teens who were struggling with addiction. So, you know, he's kind of been in there. He's been in the trenches and he, and he just talked about the overall fatherhood epidemic or the lack of real strong role models in men's lives. So um, I, I won't say more. I mean, the book is it is really good. It's uh, it, the, underneath the title. It says an every man's guide to a meaningful life. And uh, I just I, I love the message that he's preaching. Um, sure. You know, for somebody who isn't uh, necessarily if, you know, if the uh, the F word is um, hard to read or see, then, um, you know, you can kind of squint your eye or maybe put your finger in front where it is at times. But uh, the, the book itself is, is really good. He talks a lot about the things that I love talking about on the Virtual Couch podcast of being authentic and vulnerable. And I mean, just you know, building relationships with men and self-care. And I mean, really, there's just a lot of things that I really appreciate about his story. So um, I would encourage you to go look him up. He has a website called theangrytherapist.com. And uh, I also think that it would be a great idea to take a look at this book, especially if you are someone who is kind of struggling with finding out a, a guy who's struggling with what, what does it even mean to be authentic or you are worried about what other people will think. And John has a lot of practical tips on how to kind of just be a better you and to be more authentic. So um, without any further ado, again, let me get to the angry therapist, John Kim, and uh, where I interview him, interview him about his book, I Used to Be a Miserable. Welcome to the virtual couch. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, no, I, and I, you know, I was aware of you from afar, fellow therapist, uh, really love, um, I've, I've read a lot of what you've written. So I was kind of excited to hear about a book. What, what led you to write a book? Um, two things. One, uh, a divorce about 10 years ago mm-hmm. that, uh, threw me into my own man journey, crossing that great divide from boy to man and learning about uh, myself and love and relationships, all of that stuff. And then also uh, at that time, I was becoming a therapist and the universe threw me into nonprofit where I was working with uh, teenage addicts. And um, I discovered that we live in a fatherless nation. So um, got the fire in my belly to create a dialogue about men. Well, and, you know, I'm curious, and I was reading more about you and you kind of talked about after you went, I think it's after you went through the journey, then you realized that, uh, you know, some of the things that maybe you were saying as a therapist or, um, was it, you kind of realized that you were, uh, what, well, I guess, what was that self-discovery like finding out that maybe you weren't the person you thought you were? Um, yeah, I think I was just a child and I didn't really know myself or connect to myself. I was busy in my twenties and thirties 
screenwriting and trying to chase the, this blueprint of what I thought happy would look like. And because, because it never came, it was very shiny, you know, that the house and the picket fence and the fancy cars, um, because it never came, I didn't allow myself to be happy. And so I was just miserable and uh, angry. And so it wasn't until I got a divorce where I kind of started all over and started to ask myself bigger questions and what made me happy, what brought meaning in my life. Uh, but more importantly, like, who am I? You know, yeah. who is John Kim? So did you feel like you had to get out of kind of that man brain or the, what I'm supposed to be like, or was that, was that part of that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of that is formed, um, through locker rooms and society and advertising and, you know, commercials, et cetera. Well, so, cause I know, you know, therapists, uh, we get to use all those were vulnerable and raw and authentic. I mean, were those always kind of natural phrases for you or was that, uh, you know, was that the uh, hidden underneath this, uh, the shell or, or waiting to get out? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the thing about therapists is we are, uh, we use those words, but I don't know if we actually practice them ourselves. And, exactly. um, yeah. one of the things that, yeah, one, one of the things I did was, uh, because I was on my journey, uh, and I was also a therapist. It was, I was, it was, I was very conflicted on how much I should show myself because therapists are kind of um, taught to, to be neutral and not, right disclosed personal life. Um, once I went through a divorce, I created a blog called the angry therapist. And the, my very first post was titled my effing feelings. I don't know if I could cuss on the show. Yeah. I love the book. I haven't, I've never had an E by any of my podcasts. So I was like, how am I going to refer to his book? I used to be a miserable F right. So, all right. We're, 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 yeah. we're. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I started to actually document my story and, 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 uh, share that I'm not happy and I'm going through a divorce and my heart's broken and I'm also a therapist. And I think, uh, that set the tone that laid the tracks. And from there, um, you know, everything kind of unfolded. So do you feel like all the way up to this book today? Okay. And and do you feel like, because I mean, I got to tell you that that's why I was so excited to talk to you. I struggle with that too. I mean, I think we can put it under what client centered or person centered therapy to try to be a little more involved in the process. But do you feel like it is a bit of a fine line, you know, it's almost like not validating somebody's story. Yeah. I know totally what you're going through. Yeah. And I think, well, for me, I've kind of swam too far to turn back. Uh, but um, I think today people care more about who you are as a person yeah. uh, more than the letters after your name. So I think that's a good thing. And I think especially with the internet, uh, you can show yourself, even if you're a therapist, and that's only going to produce glue and trust. And, um, you know, before, especially, you know, 50s and 60s, uh, therapist was very kind of like clinical and shirt and tie and clipboard. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, the, the people aren't uh, really into that anymore. <laughs> right. So hey, I know we got limited time. So I want to go through some of the, I love some of the, the do's that you have. Can I go through a few of those? Yeah. Ones? Yeah. For right. sure. Um, yeah, of course. All right. Here's the therapist layup though. But I, I use this phrase all the time. I love it. What, what, what is this one? Where did this one come from for you? Do try to understand before being understood. Oh yeah. Uh, I think it's one of the greatest, uh, tools or concepts when you're communicating most of us try to be understood before trying to understand and yeah. when you have two people doing that you have, you have flipped magnets and no one is actually hearing each other uh, they're just trying to prove their point and i think when you try to understand someone before trying to be understood um then it creates the rich soil to actually have real conversations and for people to be heard you know and that's actually what the most important thing is that people are actually heard and when you have two people doing that um the, the chances of that conversation going well is much greater. Yeah. Okay. And, and kindred soul number two point here. I love that you put, uh, don't put your shoulds on others. I love to say, don't should on anyone where, you know, I don't know. Where do you see that coming in? Don't put your shoulds on others. 
Oh, man, I think uh, everywhere, and especially with men, you know, um, this definition of this kind of cardboard definition of what a man looks like and what he should do and how he should act. Uh, a lot of it happening in locker rooms and, you know, all of that. So uh, I think it's important that men keep their shits to themselves and not put their definitions on other men because, you know, we are sharpened or unsharpened by men and we're tribal creatures. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a very powerful thing if you uh, put your shit on other people and it's not, you know, honest to them. Hey, so do you, John, do you, do you have uh, anything that comes to mind with, um, or have there been times like these locker room scenarios where you are being vulnerable and it didn't go over like you thought it would like everybody going, man, that's awesome that you opened up or what, what, did you ever get those responses? Oh yeah. Okay. What, what comes to yeah, mind? I mean, I still get it. I still get it. I mean, I still get it today. Um, I always try to push in being vulnerable, especially since I'm, you know, trying to run with this message and I could sense the energy in the room. I could sense, uh, men shutting down or changing the subject and I can sense their discomfort. So, you know, I also don't want to be the guy that's uh, pushing it so hard that I start losing friends, you know? So I have to be careful that I have to bring it back to me and I choose to, to be that, but I I can't, uh, uh, you know, judge men for not being that everyone has their own story. And again, I'm not putting my shoes on other people. I'm just encouraging men to, to redefine themselves, you know, look inward. That's all. Yeah, I, I don't want to waste your time because I love that I, I, I know I've got a little, but I have to tell you, when I do therapist trainings for other therapists on men's issues, I have them go big on the, my bio, mm-hmm. ultra marathons, 100 mile runs, and then I lift my leg up and let them feel my, my shaven leg, you know, because then it's like, wait a minute, those don't go together. <laughs> right, right. Be a manly man. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so I love that. Okay. Oh, I love that. I think that's uh, great. Do go on mandates and then do things on your own. Because I feel like in this, there's a lot of people around here that are like, well, I don't want anybody to think the, the wrong thing of me, like that I'm into guys or anything. So I right. love putting that out right. there. Right, right. Yeah, um, I didn't have a lot of male friends when I was married. And <clears throat> after my divorce, uh, the male friends around me, they were the people that pulled me out, pulled me out of my quicksand. They were so helpful. And I realized the importance of mandates. And I think a lot of men, um, they work together, they, you know, work out together, but they actually don't spend quality time together. Um, like women do, you know, women will get together, they'll go dancing and, and they'll have a great women's night out. And if men do that, they feel uncomfortable or, or whatever because of labels and society. But it's so imperative. I think um, it doesn't matter what the activity is uh, that we should hang out with other men and they become brothers and they, uh, they sharpen us, you know? So I've thought about that before too. So it's like <clears throat> guys aren't going to necessarily have the book club, you know, and discuss their feelings around the the main character. Um, but if a guy is getting together, it's mm-hmm. like sports. And then all we're going to do is talk about sports. I mean, so do you feel like that needs to be, I like it right. any activity that needs to be more intentional. I mean, that we got to be able to talk more about other things. Yeah. Yeah, because we get, we fall into the trap of the activity being being the main thing, right. and it shouldn't be. It should be about the connection and the conversation, and the activity is just you know the common thread. Um, but most men, it's based on the activity. It's very competitive, and we don't do a lot of uh, mini. We don't have a lot of meaningful conversations. We just try to be better at whatever the activity we're doing. And you think that still goes back to there's this fear of if I'm vulnerable, am I over like a lead balloon? Like then. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a combination of that and men being performance based, you know, uh, growing up, growing up, uh, tying our ability to our worth and that we are designed to build things and fix things and, you know, perform. And so all that ripples into our mandates. And so they shouldn't, you know, they should be more about, we should be getting the stuff that women get on their dates, which is connection, fun and humanizing ourselves. Right. Yeah. 
I got to tell you, I did a, a podcast on empathy and I dug up some research that showed that you can present a man and a woman with the same kind of a scenario. And if you go all into the world of functional mm-hmm. brain scans and pupil dilation, the guy is, is showing those signs of empathy, but he's not willing to express it. Um, you know, cause it still looks mm, like yeah. not a dude thing to do. Right. Um, right, right. And empathy is just a human thing that we all need to, it's just part of being human, you know, like so, sleeping and eating. Yeah. And so when I was kind of thinking about when you're talking about your journey and you kind of looking back on things the way you were maybe before your divorce and after, do you feel like you did have more empathy after? I mean, is that one of those things where, I don't know, talk about it. Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, my heart, my heart changed, uh, not only empathy to other people, but also myself, uh-huh. uh, which, you know, leads me to the, the topic of self-care. Okay. I think a lot of men think that self-care is what women do and it's extra. I'm too busy for that, you know, and it's not like taking care of yourself. You know, this idea that you got to fill your cup first before you can fill anyone else's cup. Um, that starts with self-care. Yeah. Well, what do you feel like your, what are your go-to self-care moves? Um, and yeah, my, so, uh, daily sweats fitness, uh, donut once in a while. I ride my motorcycle as a meditation tool. Um, things that make me, uh, energ- energize myself, uh, maybe some me time, uh, creative writing, all of that. So it's going to look different f- for everyone, but whatever energizes you that you need. Um, and maybe, maybe it's drawing boundaries. Maybe it's not being social every day. I don't know what it is, you know, but uh, it's important that you give that to yourself. Well, and you kind of go back to, which I, I love it, the do what you need. I still feel like with, and with men that has to do with vulnerability. And then there's always that worry that it's not going to go over well. So really it is just kind of, I don't know, kind of speaking up for yourself or being okay with the things that you need. Yeah. Okay. Um, I got to ask this one. Yeah. Uh, don't wear skinny jeans and don't be creepy. Tell me more, John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the skinny jeans is very short. Uh, if you want to look like a pigeon, uh, I guess it's a personal <laughs> preference. I, I never got skinny jeans, man. It, it, it makes it just makes you look really weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. And then the um, the creepy thing, obviously, especially with the internet today, uh, there's so much room for men to hide and to ghost and to send dick pics and all of these things. And yeah. you know, I think all that's just behavior that uh, that boys do, that children do. Um, if you want to be a man, take ownership and and be respectful and uh, don't do it. Don't be creepy. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a part that, uh, where you talk about, um, being a man's a journey and you, you say many choose to embark on the journey. Many do not. And I, I like that because I feel like, do you feel like, is it more man brain than, than woman brain that says, I'm, Hey, this is who I am. I mean, do you think men are afraid to kind of, I don't know, go on that journey? Yeah. Because, you know, when you go on a journey, uh, the fear is that you're going to have to shake your definition and oh. things that you think, um, you know, equal a man may not when you come out the other side. So yeah, there's something terrifying about going on a journey because it means you're going to have to lean into discomfort, slay your dragons. And so I think a lot of men don't want to embark on that because they don't want to be uncomfortable, you know? And so they'll just say, well, I'm good. I'm a man. I like myself. Uh, but the truth is you're scared to go on your journey. You're, yeah. you're, you're scared to, to expand. And the thing about the journey is it's ongoing. It's not a, a one-time thing, you know? I'm right. still on mine, you know? Well, and what did, so what did you do before you decided to be a therapist? What were you doing then? I was, uh, I grew up in LA and Hollywood and I was uh, screenwriting. So I've always had been a writer, except uh, I was writing movies and it's a very feast or famine uh, business and entertainment. And, uh, you know, I sold a couple of things and I was able to get a manager and all that, but uh-huh. it wasn't enough and it wasn't fulfilling. I was chasing 
um, I was chasing the, the shiny blueprint of what I thought happy looked like than actually doing something that I felt, uh, you know, was my calling. Gotcha. Okay. Hey, and I apologize to kind of be all over the map, but there was another one that I had, had uh, that I, I skipped over, but I'm really curious your thoughts on you. You say, um, don't choose passion over purpose. And, um, you know, I, I it, do you feel like that passion is sometimes, I don't know, what, give me your thoughts on that passion versus purpose. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course, you know, if you have both, that's amazing. But sometimes I think we choose what we're passionate about, but it doesn't line up with our truth. Um, even, you know, using my story as an example, I was passionate about screenwriting, but I was passionate about screenwriting because I wanted to sell a million dollar script that would buy me the fancy cars, et cetera. Yeah. And it didn't line up with my passion, by my purpose. I think purpose trumps passion, you know, yeah. and hopefully uh, if you, if, if your purpose is, is strong and you're aware of it, then, then passion is just lines up with it, right? It comes, it comes naturally with your purpose. No, I love that. So, cause yeah, if you're living by your purpose, then you, I mean, maybe even you'll find a passion or, or the, uh, the, if you're, if you're not staying true to your purpose, is that kind of what you're saying? Then it's, I don't know, you're never not going to quite feel fulfilled or it's not going to be out that in the way of authentic. Yeah. Like, like, like I, I think passion alone is enough. Yeah. You need passion and a purpose, right. For it to be sustainable. Yeah. No, and, and of course, I got to say that, you know, uh, purpose is not a singular path with like a bell to ring at the end. I think purpose uh, can change as you change. You know, you can have many purposes over your life. Well, OK. And I love that message in general that you're kind of putting out there because I don't know what it is about. I feel like, you know, guys do feel like what's wrong with me. And I wonder if that's a part of that. What we grew up with of you, you're supposed to stay at the same company for 40 years and get the watch and the pension. Right. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's, it's also the whole thing with uh, the one, you know, people, you got to find the one and that's not true. You can, you can have many ones in your lifetime. You know, it, 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 it's not just, you're going to fall in love with one person and you're going to um, be with that person for the rest of your life. I mean, you can, but there are many ones for you. Like there are many purposes for you. Gotcha. So it might not be the one job. I mean, it's okay to to change a career or to change a passion or a hobby or any of those things. Absolutely. I think um, to think there's only if there's only to think that there's only one thing for you to do on this planet is very sad and limiting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. Uh, hey, John, where can people find you? Uh, on Instagram, the Angry Therapist. Uh, my website, uh, theangrytherapist.com. Okay. And uh, I'm excited about your book. I mean, it really, I, it, you're, uh, you guys were kind enough to send me a couple of copies and I, um, I lent one out and uh, I can't get it back now because uh, the couple of guys have really dug it. So, <laughs> so it's, a, <laughs> well, that's a good thing. Well, thank you so much for having me. No, oh, thank you, John. And, uh, and I just, I, I'd love to have you on again sometime down the road. Absolutely. Okay. Good luck. All okay. right. Be well. Uh-huh.